Coming Up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Just a quick message before you get there. For the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help us keep going. In 2023, we're asking our community to stay tuned, stay radical. We rely on the generous donations of community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and show your support for community-owned and community-run media. Thanks for your support and happy listening. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Blood destruction, sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning, as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind, poisoning. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, a special edition, I mean two places at once, which is a bit of a problem today, which is the 14th of June 2023, we're having a radio find at Community Radio 3CR. Obviously, all you listeners outside 3CR's range would have no interest in a 3CR radio find, so I am forced by circumstances to be in two studios at once while I'm actually lying. I'm actually pre-recording this program, unfortunately, because I'm trying to raise $15,000 for Community Radio 3CR, which is the station that uh, you hear Anarchist Will this week from. Now, what is anarchism? Anarchos without rulers, society without rulers. Not without rules, without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power and it's the struggle to share wealth. Very simple concepts. Nothing radical about them, exceptionally conservative, looking after the planet, looking after human beings, looking after all the species on the planet. Uh, Unfortunately, as you know, we live in a private investment for private profit world where Anything and everything goes. If you could sell your grandmother 
for a few, or if you could sell your grandmother's body for a few bucks, I'm sure there'd be people out there who'd uh, do it. They'd even have kind of granny, um, you know, granny bodies auctions. But um, maybe that's a bit far. Now, this program, I'm actually won't be looking at what's happening today. I'm actually looking at wider ideas, wider concepts, concepts which have a profound impact on our lives. Not just the economy, but our constitutional arrangements. Now, a lot of Australians mistakenly think that our constitution provides protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power and it provides protection for the minority against the majority. And the, the concept of a constitution, they are the DNA of any society. I mean, you are what you are because of a combination of DNA between your parents, whether you knew them or not, is irrelevant. The fact is you share that DNA and that new DNA helix is what makes you. Obviously, the environment has an impact on how things turn out and obviously the amount of disposable income by your caregivers also has a significant impact. But ultimately, it's the DNA which is critical as far as we're concerned as individuals. Now, it's the same with a constitution. A constitution, theoretically, is the DNA which determines the type of society we have. And unfortunately, in Australia, the constitutional arrangements we have have a lot to be desired. Because basically the Australian Constitution has nothing to do with the has nothing to do with the protection of the individual from arbitrary exercise of state power. It has nothing to do with ensuring that everybody has access to the Commonwealth. It's basically about the relationship between state governments and the central authority, and this came about for one very good reason. When the British Crown created colonies in Australia, and there were six colonies, initially New South Wales, then Tasmania, then Victoria, sorry, I got it wrong, New South Wales, Tasmania, Queensland, West Australia, and I think South Australia before Victoria, but I could be wrong. The fact is there were six independent colonies which had their own legislative framework. And this legislative framework had been determined by the British government. And basically, they had an upper house which was dominated by uh, landed interests, whether they were squatters or non-squatters. It was all about access to the land which had been stolen from uh, generations that had been here for over 60,000 years. So when federation occurred, it wasn't a fait accompli. There was resistance to the idea of federation and there was always the possibility that we would have six independent nation states on the continent of Australia and the surrounding islands. Strong possibility. So about 10 years before federation occurred, which was on the 1st of July 1901, there were congresses and debates regarding what the constitutional framework should be like. 
And unfortunately, during this process, the idea of having any human rights incorporated in the Australian Constitution lost momentum. And the Australian Constitution, if you've got the time to read it, is basically a textbook study of the sharing of power between in a federation between the states and the central government. Initially, referendums were held in each state to see if people wanted to federate. Interestingly, the first referendum which was held in New South Wales was a failure because the New South Wales people didn't want to actually have to uh, support the people in the smaller colonies and the actual Federation Bill was rejected. It took a second go at the cherry for the Federation Bill to be narrowly approved. Well, that was approved quite handsomely in the rest of Australia because obviously the colonies understood to have six navies, six armies, you know, six taxation system would be a, an issue. So federation occurred on the basis of this constitution on the 1st of January 1901. And interestingly, the first legislation which was passed in the new Houses of Parliament was the White Australia policy, which gives you an idea of how people were thinking at that particular stage, that we were a European island in an Asian jungle that we had to keep the race pure. Obviously, as far as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander is concerned, the idea around the turn of the century was that we were smoothing the pillow of a dying race, and if they wouldn't die out, we could assimilate, forcefully assimilate by removing children from their Indigenous parents and communities and forcefully assimilated into the wider community. And these were the policies which were followed by all the state governments until 1967 when a referendum gave the federal government the power to legislate for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. And that was the key about the 67 referendum. It wasn't about counting people in the census or this or that. It was actually about giving the federal government the power to legislate for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. And that's where you got the Whitlam-led Labor government's uh, native title legislation and all the legislation which came from that, especially the Mabo and the WIC decisions, which recognised that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders had rights to land in law because of their prior occupation of this land. So if you are looking for protections for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power in the Australian Constitution, it doesn't exist. It has never existed. The High Court about 20 years ago found that a man who'd been indefinitely detained because he was deemed not to be a refugee or an asylum seeker could be indefinitely detained for life as far as the Constitution was concerned. That's detained without trial for life. When compulsory voting was introduced in 1921, there was nothing in the Australian Constitution which said that people couldn't be forced to actually participate in the parliamentary process which they found was uh, you know which they found offensive if you look at the Australian constitution there is no protection for the individual you've got the right to be homeless you've got the right to starve 
You've got the right to be conscripted and sent to war. You've got the right to be jailed without actually being charged under legislation which was passed about 25 years ago during the Muslim fundamentalist hysteria, which means that the federal authorities can take anybody off the street any time they like, hold them uh, hold them for seven days, question them, and if you refuse to answer questions, you can be jailed for up to seven years. Now, I'm not making this up. It's, it's there. It's in legislation. We've got the ridiculous situation where through legislation it is now illegal to withdraw your labour outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period and even during an enterprise bargaining agreement period you've got to jump through so many hoops that uh, it's almost impossible to withdraw your labour. So although we complain about the Chinese people not having the right to strike, we actually have no right to strike in this country. Then we've got the ridiculous situation where people think they've got freedom of speech. There is no freedom of speech in the Australian Constitution. You can go through it with a magnifying glass, and that's what the High Court did about 20 years ago. And they found there was an implied right to freedom of speech in the Australian Constitution only during an election period, only when an election had been called, because you couldn't have a free and fair election without freedom of speech. Otherwise, there's no freedom of speech. There's no freedom of assembly. We see... State governments removing that freedom constantly because there's no freedom of assembly in the Australian Constitution. There's hardly any freedoms whatsoever. You do have freedom of religion and theoretically you have you have the right to compensation if your land is forcefully acquired. So as far as constitutions are concerned, even the United Kingdom, which doesn't have a constitution, has more protections for individual rights than the Australian Constitution ever has. And as I keep saying on this program, you could be, you could have legislation passed in both houses of parliament which would imprison in concentration camps blue-eyed two-year-old children because they're the spawn of the devil and it would be constitutional. We've had the ridiculous situation recently where the federal government attempted to take away Australian citizenship from people who'd been born in this country. And obviously the High Court found in that regard that the government had gone one step too far. So constitutionally, there are minimal protections. The only protections we have as individuals, the right to strike, the right to assemble, the right to freedom of speech, the right not to starve, the right to have access to housing, are rights which we win through struggle. The rights we win through struggle. There are no other constitutional rights as far as this country is concerned, which is a huge problem. It's a huge problem because the majority has the ability to severely restrict the movement and rights of minorities in this country. And if there was a movement to do that, it would have the constitutional authority to do so. Let's show you how difficult things are. In 1999, I think there was a, there was a referendum, and I stood on a 
new constitution for a new millennium uh, platform, and we garnered what garnered what five thousand votes from two million in Victoria. A minuscule drop in the ocean, because you see, the Australian Constitution is a little bit like the Bible in the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, the great split occurred between the Protestants, I protest, the Protestants, and the Catholic Church in the, uh, well, I think it was the 16th century, because people like uh, Luther began to actually read the Bible. With, when Gutenberg uh, invented the printing press, it allowed the Bible to become a popular book which was read by the masses or the more educated elements of the masses because obviously not everybody was literate during that period of time, the upper classes. And obviously people realised that the interpretation they'd been given by their priests was just that, an interpretation of what was in the Bible. And they began to you know, make their own interpretations. That's why we see the, the explosion of the number of non-Roman Catholic Christian sects in the world, from the Anglican Church to the Methodists, Charismatics, you name it. Each has their own interpretation of the Bible. But as a Catholic, you don't bother reading the Bible. The Bible is the preserve of the priestly class, the bishops, the cardinals, and ultimately the Pope, who is a divine authority from the Lord. Well, that's what he thinks. So, why this analogy? The fact is, there are no freedoms in the Australian Constitution. The only freedoms we have in those countries is the freedoms we win through struggle. That's the key. The freedoms we win through struggle. And unfortunately in this country, we have forgotten that struggle is central to any campaign for political freedoms. Let's move on from the Constitution. Another thing I've been very interested in is history. History, his story, her story. That's all it is. It's people's stories. That's what history is. And obviously we have departments, we have professors of histories, adjunct professors, Ametrius professors. But history is about interpretation. It's about interpretation of facts. And unfortunately in this country, we've had a very, very, very narrow view of what facts are and what history is. Now, I know people like to think of a former US president as rewriting history. But we, as a nation, have rewritten history from the very moment of colonisation. The very moment when James Cook put up the English flag up in North Queensland and claimed the east coast of Australia for the British crown. From that very moment... From that very moment when a convict settlement was established at Port Jackson, Botany Bay and then Port Jackson, on the 26th of January, 1788. At that very moment when disease spread across the continent, destroying 
cultures and nation states and language groups and people that had been here for over 2,000 generations. Things which they had no immunity to like smallpox, diphtheria, cholera, tetanus, measles, whooping cough, syphilis, gonorrhea, and the list goes on and on. Interestingly, if you look at some of the early accounts by the colonisers, especially in Sydney Cove, you'll read accounts of beaches being covered with the bodies of Indigenous people, First Nations people, not because they'd been slaughtered, but because they died of disease. And by the time the colonists, the squatters arrived in Victoria in 1835, over 80% of the population and actually Indigenous population had died through, from disease before the first colonists put, put their foot on, this, on the ground. So history is important. And we have a tendency to negate history, not just First Nations history, which is one historical period which is now being readdressed. Don't forget during John Howard's uh, regime, which was less than a quarter of a century ago, less than 25 years ago, I mean, the lie was being peddled that uh, colonisation was a very friendly process. No deaths occurred, minimal deaths, no massacres, and the list goes on and on. So obviously, it's all about access to land. It's all about freehold title. The concept of freehold title is central to the type of society we are. Freehold title. There's another history which has been ignored, which has been shunted aside. And that is the history of the more radical elements in Australian society. Those elements which refused to see a replication of the ruling classes being established in these new colonies. I mean, people came to these colonies in order to create a new life for themselves, free of the class structures that they had fled from. I mean, it's not new that Australia has been a home to refugees and asylum seekers. Australia was based, after convict uh, transportation was uh, ceased, was based on a free immigration for refugees, whether they're religious people who have been persecuted because of their religious beliefs or political beliefs, their involvement in reformist or revolutionary movements. And obviously all came to a head at Eureka, which is another story. But we forget that day-to-day history which put Australia at the very forefront of social change at the beginning of the, ni- beginning of the 20th century, at the end of the 19th century. And that came through struggle. And then with federation, that working class history, that history of the proletariat, that history of the lumpered proletariat, that history of the, the dispossessed, the unemployed, the movements which were created, which forced governments to introduce reforms, reforms as radical as establishing a People's Bank, the Commonwealth Bank in 1911, as well as establishing the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory in 1911 to provide vaccinations for people. The struggle for pensions, the struggle for sick pay, 
the struggle for holiday pay, the struggle to be able to join a union, the struggle to withdraw your labour. I mean, these are all important struggles, the anti-conscription struggle of World War I. Exceptionally important struggle, which is barely mentioned in this country's history. And even today in 2023, we see the selective interpretation of of historical events which actually ignore the reality. And the classical example is World War I. Over 62,000 young Australian men died from a population of 5 million in World War I, fighting for the glory of God, King and Country. In 2023, it's all about democracy and freedom. The struggle in World War I was basically a dirty little trade war between different imperial European families, which resulted in the deaths wholesale deaths of millions of working people. World War I was fought by workers at either end of a bayonet, but every Anzac Day we see a reinterpretation of facts. So historical amnesia is in our DNA. It's in the Australian DNA, and we need to reclaim that past you need to understand the past in order to know where you're going as a people and while we ignore the lessons of the past we repeat the mistakes of the past so history is another very important part of being an activist understanding the historical background understanding what's actually happened in the past, understanding the impact it has on the present, understanding how it changes the future. So the Constitution is history. Another thing I've actually been interested in as an activist for over 55 years now, that's right, I did start young when I was 17, misguided youth, that's the way it is, is the concept of an economy. What's an economy? Now, before I go on, I'd just like to remind you this is a special program which has been pre-recorded while I'm in another studio doing a radio from Community Radio 3CR. Now, obviously, you're listening to this program courtesy of the Community Radio Network or directly from 4ZZZ in Brisbane, which are, there's about 20 radio stations, 15 to 20 radio stations that pick up the Anarchist World this week and broadcast it across Australia, which I'm very thankful for. Now, obviously, I encourage you to support your local community radio station because talking about history, I don't think people understand why we have community radio stations In 1972-73, when the Whitlam Labor government was initially elected, their biggest issue regarding the election was the domination of the print media and radio and television by the Murdoch Empire and other media corporations. And the idea of issuing licences to community groups 
was to break the monopoly the legacy media had on Australian thinking. Now, obviously, 50 years later, that's no longer true because of social media and other media outlets. These media outlets don't actually have a monopoly, but they do have something which is very important. They actually set the agenda for the day, the week, the month, the year. Because social media, television, radio, broadcasting, narrowcasting, always takes its direction from print media. All you've got to do is they read the print media and then use that information to fashion their program for the day. So, so as I said before, obviously, I'm not asking to support Community Radio 3CR. I'm doing that in another studio, asking the listeners that are in, if it's in its broadcasting range to support us. But contact your local radio station. They may need, a, they may need volunteers. They may need a bit of financial assistance and maybe, for like uh, Community Radio 3CR, you can actually get a tax deduction for donating to those particular radio stations. You may not. Each radio station is different. But those people who think that radio is dead, radio is not dead. It continues to exist, whether in a podcast form or a broadcast form or a narrowcast form. It is not dead. Because... One of the single most important things we enjoy as a human, as part of the human species, is the power of hearing, the power of language, the power to understand other people, the power to share emotions, not just around a campfire, but around a nation and around the world by the worldwide media. And words continue to have a profound impact on the type of society we are. Let's move on. Another thing I've been interested in over many years is words. Because words, language, actually determines the type of society we are and the type of society we can be. It's all about language. Before I talk about language, I'd just like to remind you this is a special edition of the Anarchist World this week. It's been pre-recorded, so I can actually conduct a radio phone for Community Radio 3CR from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. I encourage you to support your local community radio station. I don't know what station you're listening to this program on. It could be anywhere in Australia. It could be in Darwin. It could be in Brisbane. It could be in Townsville. It could be in Launceston. Who knows where it is? It could be in Gladsville. Alexandria, who knows? But the important thing is, the important thing is that we need to support community radio. Because it's in community radio where the news is broken, not in terms of what's happening, but in terms of interpretation. Interpretation. Language. Why is language important? I think the Kathleen Folbig case and the Lindy Chamberlain case highlight how important language is. Because let's not forget these two women, for various reasons, who have now been pardoned, were convicted by juries of their peers who were influenced by the language of the day. Things like serial killer, monster, non-mother, 
the list went on and on and on. Those of you who are old enough to remember how the language was twisted and how that twisting of the language helped to convict these two women. The same with the Mabo decision on the 3rd of June 1992 when the High Court narrowly accepted the premise that Terra Nullius was a lie, that this land had been inhabited before European colonisation and that Indigenous people had rights to land in law because of the continuing association with that land, all hell broke loose. And the language that was used at that particular time highlighted, highlighted the problem when questions of land ownership are questioned in the courts. And language is instrumental in Stan Grant. Um, removal from the, uh, he removed himself from the ABC. He talked about institutional failure. The fact that while he was being slandered, pilloried by anonymous voices, slandered and pilloried in the Murdoch media, that the Australian Broadcasting Institution, the institution itself, didn't get up and speak up for him. Didn't help. And this is nothing new. It happens again and again, not just to Indigenous people, but to anybody who tries to raise alternative viewpoints in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. But language is important because it was language which led to the Holocaust. It was language which led to the Rwandan tragedy in 1990. It's language which creates the them and us mentality which is fundamental in creating, in, in fracturing societies based on racial lines or gender lines or sexual orientation lines or language group lines, and the list goes on and on. Language. And for the last 40 to 50 years, people in this country have been subjected, and the key word is subjected, to language which has tended to not only polarise the population but exclude, <coughs> as you can see, it is live, exclude large segments of the population from the decision-making processes. Although this is nothing new, mass media has allowed these things to accelerate. Now, I'd just like to look at a few examples that are really annoy me. The first thing is the co is the concept of a customer. You know, if you're a customer, you do have a right. You, you can be a cringing, complaining, you know, customer. Cringing, complaining, customer. Because that's what a customer is. It's part of a financial transaction. You have a financial transaction with another party or even a third party. You have a few rights and responsibilities. They have a few rights and responsibilities. You pay your cash. They provide the product or service. If there is a uh, dispute, well, you go hell, hell for leather on that dispute and waste your time. But it's more than that. Governments, especially conservative governments, especially the Howard-led government, have changed the concept of citizenship in this country. If you're a citizen, you have the right to vote. The right to vote means you have the right to choose your political representatives. 
You don't, don't have the right not to choose, but you do have the right to choose your political representatives. You are part of the building block of that nation-state, of that sovereign nation-state. The table's been turned. We are no longer citizens with rights and responsibilities. We are customers, customers of the state. And the type of interaction you have with a government department, including Centrelink and the taxation officer, you are not only treated as a customer, your description is customer. You are a customer. You're not a citizen. So in one fell swoop, we have changed the relationship between the citizen and the state to one of a commercial transaction. And in commercial transactions, you don't have any rights in determining that corporations or that businesses the way that is structured. But as a citizen, you do have that right to try to change that society. The other thing, other words, welfare. And this is one of my big bugbears because most people involved in a struggle against the dilution of the social security system talk about welfare. We don't have a welfare state. Quite clearly in legislation, we have a social security system. That's right. A social security system. It provides security to all of society, not just those who find themselves in difficult circumstances, but society as a whole. You have a mechanism by which you support people who find themselves in difficult circumstances. Then you have a mechanism by which you have a cohesive society, a society which is not divided, but a cohesive society. And the fact is, every time we use the word welfare, we are basically supporting the government's attempts to belittle, ostracise and marginalise people who are too sick or too ill or too poor to not be part of the wage system. It's really extraordinary when you think about it. Just extraordinary. Another word I like is movers and leaners. Remember the good old days of robo-debt? That illegal state-sponsored terrorism on some of the most vulnerable people in our society? Movers and leaners. You've got the movers, and the movers, we're told, are the politicians, the corporate sector, the leaners are the welfare recipients, the social security beneficiaries, the people in public housing, the people who are not part of wage, the wage system. They're the leaners, and we should get out of the, and the government should get out of the way of the movers so they can actually increase their profits. Movers and leaners, welfare. The list goes on and on. Millions of words designed to criminalise trade unionists. I mean, to be a trade unionist, to me, is a very honourable thing. 
It means you've come together collectively for other members of your particular trade to work collectively to improve your situation both on the workplace and in terms of remuneration. But the word trade unionist has now been turned on its head. To be a trade unionist is to be a criminal. Is to be part of a criminal endeavour. Is to be part of a criminal organisation. So we have seen the very organisations which were responsible for improving the lives of millions of people in this country now turned basically into one percenters, into outlaw gangs in the eye of the community. The list goes on and on. Public. When we first formed public, public interest before corporate interests in 2015, we thought we'd have 500 members before you knew it. Obviously, we don't have 500 members nine year, or eight years later, and this year has been a particularly miserable year because we've actually had more deaths than new members. So obviously, we're going backwards. And one of the biggest problems we have found over the last eight years is the public's misunderstanding of what the word public means. For far too long, public in the Australian imagination, the Australian eye, has meant second-rate not good enough, second-rate service, non-competitive, there to look after losers. What we've forgotten is it's been the public institutions which have created wealth, which has been able to be used by all and cross-subsidisation. hasn't been the private sector it's been these profitable public institutions which have provided a service and a profit to a community. But they, the service and the role they provide to the community has been downplayed and denigrated in order to create the political climate and the social climate to privatise these enterprises. And we are now paying the price of that privatisation agenda where profitable public services which were providing a service to the community have been sold to the lowest bidder, not the highest bidder, the lowest bidder. An extreme example is the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, privatised by uh, Mr Keating. I think the shares were $2.79. You can't get a CSL share for over 300 bucks these days. This is what happens, Commonwealth Bank. Hard to get a share over a hundred buck, under a hundred bucks, and the list goes on and on. Profitable organisations which have been built up by the blood, sweat, and tears of generations, sold overnight to the private sector to increase competition, to provide a better service, to lower prices. You name one, one section that has been privatised to the Australian economy, whether it's Qantas, whether it's the Commonwealth Bank, whether it's the old telecom, whether it's the munitions factory. Yes, we did have a munitions factory. Whether it's CSL and the list, whether it's all the energy-producing companies around Australia, whether it's public housing, whether it's the actual people, the consultants that give advice to the government, we used to have a public service which gave advice. 
But the government wasn't happy with the advice it was receiving. So in order to save money, they said initially, they would bring in outside consultants to provide them the advice. And obviously the outside consultants provided the advice they want. But guess what? It costs more for these outside consultants and they do more royalty than we've ever seen in the public service. Just look at this the Cooper Waterhouse price scandal, which they're trying to bury as I speak. That's the key, bury. So words are instrumental to the type of society we are and the type of society we'd like to be. Words like collective, cooperative, do you ever hear those words anymore? No. They cease to exist. A mutual aid society, do you hear those words anymore? No. They cease to exist. Words that are beneficial have ceased to exist. Words that criminalise, denigrate, ostracise, marginalise, have come part and parcel of the human lexicon. And we see this not just in the political sphere, but we see this. We see this in the social sphere. Everywhere we see this. Words are instrumental to the type of society we wish to become and the type of society we are. And the next thing I've been interested in for a long time is the Australian spirit. Now, we've been fed the story that Australia is a country of rebels, that we have a glorious history of rebellion. We don't have a glorious history of rebellion. What we've become is the murmuring classes. Like convicts of old, we tend to murmur under our breath. And two things pop out. Not cringing, carping, complaining consumers, but gunner, and somebody should do something about that tribe. And unfortunately, we are not the nation of rebels we think we are. We are not the nation of rebels we're told we are. Obviously, there have been people who've rebelled and have changed things, but they are ignored marginalised, ostracised, thrown out in the dustbin of history. The recent interest rate rise is a classical example of what we've become. We shrug our shoulders and we work harder in order to pay the man. Shrug our shoulders, work harder. Shrug our shoulders, work harder. There's no questioning. And if there is questioning, it's at a subliminal level. And if there is questioning in social media, it's questioning revolving crap. Total, utter, useless crap. It's not about the divisions in society. It's not about the inequalities in society. It's not about where power lies. It's not about how wealth is shared. But it's about peripheral, useless, incoherent ideas, philosophies and concepts which dilute that struggle, dilute that struggle to create a more egalitarian community. If I had a dollar for every person I heard going to say to me that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, 
I wouldn't be speaking to you today. I'd be somewhere on a yacht, sunning myself in the Mediterranean, you know. Well, maybe I won't be, but who knows? It's a good analogy. The Gunner tribe is a huge tribe in this country. And while the Gunner tribe continues to reap membership and the public interest before corporate interest tribe continues to shrink, then nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to change. And if you do want to join public interest before corporate, it's very simple. It doesn't matter where you are in Australia. Just go to the website, pipsy.net, download the application form, bingo, you remember. And if you can't join online, you can always leave a message on 0439 395 489. We'll send you out an application form. But getting back to what I was saying, there's no point being a member of the Gunner Tribe. If you've got a membership card to the Gunner Tribe, tear it up. Tear it up. And the other tribe which I find particularly obnoxious is that somebody should do something about that tribe. You see, we've become a nation of consumers. We consume entertainment. We consume religion. We consume sex. We consume food. We consume social media. We consume Tinder. We consume, 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 consume. And the height of success is how many books you sold? How many people have listened to your record? How many people have consumed? And you've been able to monitorise that consumption and make a buck out of it, whether you're an influencer on social media or whether you're an entertainer. How much, how much, how much? how much, determines the worth of an individual in this society which is hostage to mammon, hostage to the private investment for private profit mantra. And no wonder we find ourselves in such a difficult situation in 2023. A society that potentially has the resources not to have any of the problems or very few of the problems which plague the rest of the planet that has a million children living in poverty from a population of just over 25 million, that has elderly people facing homelessness, that has a third of the population that hasn't got enough money in reserve to repair a broken-down refrigerator, The biggest expanding part of the economy is food banks, providing food to people in this rich country, a country which gives away its natural resources to corporations while allowing its children to be supported by private charities to go to public schools. It's enough to make anybody cry or make make them laugh. If I was speaking to a Martian and I explained what was happening on Earth today, especially in Australia, this very rich country that has such great potential. And that's why I broadcast. Not because I'm cynical. If I was cynical, I wouldn't be wasting my time. Forty, This is my 46th year. I wouldn't be broadcasting. I wouldn't be wasting my time broadcasting on the Anarchist World this week. I wouldn't be wasting my time creating two programs so we can raise a miserable $15,000 to keep a community radio station on air, 3CR. I wouldn't be broadcasting. I'd be doing something else. I don't get paid for this. I've never been paid a cent. I don't get a percentage. I don't want a percentage. This is community radio. 
I wouldn't be broadcasting. I'm not cynical. I've got great hopes for this land. Great hopes. Because this is a land of plenty. This is a land that could reach an agreement with this country's First Nations people that suits them as well as us. This is a land that has enough resources to ensure that everybody lives, you know, with milk and honey in their backyard. This is, this is a land that is rich enough for us to have a universal basic income, to allow people to decide whether they want to be part of the wage system or not. They can have years off honing their interests. This, this is, we could do this. It doesn't take a revolution. It doesn't take blood in the streets. It take, but, it does cha- but it does take a major mindset. A mindset where the public interest, the interest of the many, is put before the interests of the few, the corporate sector. A mindset that says that change is both desirable and possible. That change is the love child of desire and expectation. Hope is the love child of desire and expectation, the desire for change and the expectation that change will occur in this society, in our lifetime. Not in future generations. We don't need to wait in future generations. We could resolve this country's energy issues tomorrow. We could make a major contribution as a people to reducing greenhouse emissions in this country. We could wipe out the spectre of homelessness overnight by recreating a public housing system based on the need to acquire, to have access to suitable accommodation. We don't need private organisations making tonnes of money providing basic support to citizens and residents in this country. We do not need that. Although I'm nearly 72 and I'm still working part-time, and I'm still broadcasting, and I'm still involved in a number of activities. The fact is that if I was cynical, I wouldn't be. I turned my back on society. I become a hermit. Or more importantly, I become part of the murmuring classes. I join the Gunner tribe. I join the somebody should do something about that tribe. And I'd be waiting on the sidelines for the change that never comes to occur. Because if there is one thing we need to remember as a people, and one thing only we need to remember is, we are the people we've been waiting for. We are the people we've been waiting for. You can't rely on your political leaders. You can't rely on the corporate sector. You can't rely on your religious leaders. You can't rely on your social media gurus. You can't rely on single-issue campaigns. Ultimately, the type of society we are and the type of society we have the capacity to become is dependent on you. Not me, but you and me together. Working to share power, Break down hierarchy, whole wealth in common. It may seem like an impossible dream.
but it is no impossible dream. Together we are capable of anything and everything. Divided we are capable of nothing and we will continue to be part of the murmuring classes and we will continue week after week, month after month, year after year to renew our membership of the Gunner tribe and the somebody should do something about that tribe. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station and 4ZZZ in Melbourne. This program has been brought to you courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This is a special program which has been pre-recorded while this program has been going on. I've been trying to raise $15,000 in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne to keep the Community Radio 3CR on air for another year and hopefully towards to move towards our 50th anniversary. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Hopefully the information provided was of some use. Now if you want further information, uh, YouTube channels, Public Interest Before Corporate is my personal YouTube channel, josephtoscano.nam, N-A-A-R-M. Facebook pages, Defend and Extend Medicare, Public Housing, Everybody's Business, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, Web pages, anarchistmedia.org. Public interest before corporate interest. PIBCI.net. Look, millions of social media pages. But ultimately, one thing changes the course of history. One thing changes the type of world we are. And that is feet on the ground. Nothing else has changed. It's feet on the ground which make all the difference. Look at your life. See what you're doing. If you want to make a difference, think about joining a local group. If there's no local group that's of any interest to you, form your own group to be involved in the struggle to share power, devolve power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Thank you once again for listening to us on this special community radio broadcast. All the best. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger. ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 03 9419 8377 or donate online 
3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned. Stay radical. Did you enjoy listening to that podcast? 3CR is a community radio station, and you, the listener, are a part of that community. Right now, it's our Radiothon. We need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Your donations really matter.